Thank you for being there in all of the times in our lives. Father, thank you for being right with us. Thank you for loving us that much. We worship you this morning. We take these time, this time, Lord God, to, to speak these words, these sweet, sweet words, Father, and embrace them and plant them in our hearts, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. So these potatoes that we dug up, these Shanahan potatoes, and we wrote prayers on them, they're a a physical reminder of a spiritual reality, that Jesus is our rock. No matter what you're going through, there is a place of stability in your life, a place where you can stand and and the ground does not shift because he is stable and he is sure. Throughout the word of God... God, of the, God the Father as well as the God the Son are referred to as, as the rock, the rock of our salvation. There's a beautiful verse in the book of Psalms, chapter 19, verse 14. It says, May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer, my strength, the place that I can stand and I know the ground will not shift or shake. Jesus wants to be that for you today. We're going to participate in communion now. Our servers will be uh, passing a tray that has bread in the middle, cups around the side. And it's a time to be able to reflect on your relationship with Jesus, where things stand with God today. This verse, we're going to be leaving it on the screen so that you can look at it and think about it. The Apostle Paul says that communion is to be a time to examine ourselves, to think about where we stand in our relationship with God. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. We may ask ourselves the question, so God, how are the words of my mouth these days? Do they please you? How are the meditations, those, those secret things that nobody else knows? Where am I with that? Maybe that it's time to just ask for God's forgiveness. To, to come to him, to come to his throne of grace and say, Jesus, I need you once again to forgive me. Knowing this, that he promises... When we sincerely confess, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from every form of unrighteousness. So as communion comes to you, meditate on the verse. Think about that. Use this as a time of reflection and repentance. And then when you're ready, go ahead and take communion.
Would you join me out loud saying this verse again as a prayer to our God? May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. I'd like you to look at this. Take a good, long look at it. The number six. We never really knew when we left Bethel Drive how many of these Sundays there would be. If you do kind of simple, approximate math, we've been gone for six years and out here for six years and 50 some Sundays a year, over 300 Sundays, we've either been here or at the river or at the warehouse. And we have just six more, just six more till we're finally at our home. Uh, You may not believe this. I hope you do. I'm going to miss here. I I still remember the very first time we walked in these doors. We came in to check out the building, and I remember just thinking, man, I hope we get this place. I never dreamed we would. I mean, the hallways were big, everything felt new and fresh, and it just, you could see the way this place was going to shape us, really have a great impact on us. And I love what's happened in the process, getting to know school staff and getting to know the school district and just connections that we would not have naturally had otherwise. I love the janitorial staff of this school. 
They've acted like they're part of the church. I mean, they have really invested themselves in Sunday mornings. They don't just show up. Some of them actually help set up and they make sure that everything is just in in great shape and ready for us week after week after week. There's a piece of it that I'm going to miss. Uh, Part of what I've loved is that coming here, it provided a whole bunch of serving opportunities that didn't exist before. A lot of times when we talk about people getting involved in serving in church, they think, well, I don't sing and I don't play drums and I don't preach or teach and uh, I, I guess I could do an offering. What else is there to do? You know, they, they don't think broadly in terms of the things that need to be done. So when it came to, hey, church has got to come out of a box every Sunday and go back into a box every Sunday, it was cool the number of people that stepped up and said, that's something I can do. That's a, that's a role I can play. That's a piece that I can do. And some have literally done it from day one and they will be with us the very last day that we put those things back in a box and we're done with being a, a portable church. Uh, pretty exciting. It's been, a, it's been a great season. And I'll tell you what, this, this season, one of the areas that it shaped us is in what we've been talking about, and that is selfless serving. It's hard to be in a situation like this and not serve, and be, we really need to be selfless about the way we go about the serve that we offer. There are so many examples from this season alone of ways that people have given of themselves selflessly and repeatedly. Having said that, I think this is really selfless serving is part of the DNA of our church long term. You can look back decades and see humble servants, people who didn't need recognition. In fact, if you gave them public praise, they'd blush and wouldn't want it. They just wanted to serve and do their best. This is part of who we are. It's in our blood. And I love that part of us. We looked at this verse last week from Ephesians chapter 2. It says, we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us to do long ago. We believe this verse. We, we believe it with all of our hearts. This moment... 2014, right now, this moment in human history is unique. And the reason it is unique is you. You are finally here. You are finally on planet Earth. God had plans before creation for you to be here. And you're finally here. And there are things that God planned from before he created the world for you to do here and now. And you get the opportunity to serve him and to truly fulfill his dreams for you. If only you'll pursue them. If only you'll actually take the risk and jump out and do the thing that he's calling you to do. Today we're going to talk about an intersection, a really important intersection when it comes to your serve. Intersections are interesting. They can be exciting. They can be dangerous. They can get you in some trouble, right? I mean, an intersection for me, intersections, there are two intersections in my life in which I had accidents. One I caused, and a month later, one someone else did to our car. So intersections can be, they can be a little bit risky. Sometimes an intersection can get you in some trouble. One morning, we were on our way on vacation, and I don't know how you are in the fog of vacation, but you're just kind of, you got a million uh, details going through your head, and I'm coming through our neighborhood, and there's a stop sign, and I apparently rolled it. I mean, I just kept going. Before you know it, my friendly Shanahan police car is right behind me, pulls me over, and I'm like, oh my goodness, I guess I didn't stop. And he pulls me over, and right about then, Wendy Deirdre from our church goes riding by on her bike. I'm like, 
you got to be kidding me, God. I mean, there's humor, and then there's this. I can't even, I can't even do bad and not get busted. Oh, my word. So, I mean, intersections can get you in some trouble, right? Intersections can also be incredibly exciting. Sometimes it's that right turn that you need to take, and that's the turn that takes you to where you've been longing to go for the longest time. Intersections are huge in our lives. There's an intersection that you need to find. And when you do, you are going to realize the beauty of Ephesians 2.10 in your life. You are going to know why you're here right now and what it is that God has for you to do. Now, that intersection involves an acronym for us, one that we've used for years. I'd love to say we made it up. We did not. But it is just beautiful because it pulls together five elements that determine where you will best and how you will best fulfill Ephesians 2.10 in your life. It involves five words, five terms, and it makes up the word shape. So we're going to look at them today and draw an intersection in our lives. The first, uh, the first letter is the letter S, and that stands for spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts. The Bible tells us that every person in the body of Christ has been given a spiritual gift. Not just pastors, not just missionaries. Every person in the body of Christ has been given a gift that God wants to use within his body and in the world for his causes. So couple of key texts on spiritual gifts in the Bible. One is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Another is found in Romans chapter 12. And then you find other areas throughout scripture as well that speak of it. I love the 1 Corinthians 12 passage because it gets down to some basic nuts and bolts of how spiritual gifts work. Paul says, by the way, he starts this passage by saying, I just want to explain this. I don't want you to be ignorant about this. I want you to know how spiritual gifts work. And so he says the spiritual gift is given to each of us. So it's given to every believer. There's nobody in the body of Christ that's left out from having a spiritual gift. And they're given to us so we can help each other. And that's that word edification. It's given to build up the body of Christ, to build each other up. He goes on to say, to one person, the Spirit gives. Don't miss that line, the Spirit gives. We're going to see that again a couple more times. But he talks about some of the gifts that the Spirit gives. He gives wisdom. He gives special knowledge. Uh, he gives all these, a gift of healing. He gives power to perform miracles. He gives all these different gifts. He gives a list. And then come down to verse 11. It, is says, it says, it is the one and only Spirit who distributes these gifts. He alone decides which gift each person should have. Those three lines, the Spirit gives and those two below, are so important because we kind of miss it sometimes on spiritual gifts. We find out the list from the Bible. Here are the gifts, and here's what we do. We go, well, I'd, I'd, really, like, I'd really like to be a leader. Leadership is a spiritual gift. I'd like to be a leader. Teaching is a spiritual gift. I'd like to be a teacher. Hospitality is a spiritual gift. I'd like the gift of hospitality. And we kind of decide, that's, what, that's where I'd like to fit in the body of Christ. But what does the Bible say? The Spirit is the one who distributes the gifts. The Spirit is the one who determines the gifts you and I receive. The Spirit is the one who empowers the giftedness so that we can use it best in the body of Christ. It is not our place to choose a gift and then work on it and try to develop it. It's our place to determine, Spirit, what gift have you given me? Let me give you a, a classic definition for spiritual gifts, ones that, one that we've used around here for many years. A spiritual gift is a special ability. Another word for it, a, a, a divine enablement. It's given by the Holy Spirit. So again, he's the distributor 
to a believer upon conversion. So when you become a Christ follower, you're given this gift, and it's to be used for the building up of the body of Christ. We saw that in the Corinthians passage. And it's also to be used for fulfilling Christ's mission in the world. It's used for God's kingdom purposes, to advance his kingdom, not just in the church, but literally around the world, all that he wants to accomplish. So it gives us a definition, an idea of how spiritual gifts work and what spiritual gifts are. I think one of the most beautiful examples of spiritual gifts happening in the Bible happens in Acts chapter 2. The Spirit comes in flame, lands on the disciples, and the disciples begin immediately speaking in other languages. And those other languages are the languages of the people that are present there. And the people present go, wow, he's not only speaking my language, he's speaking with my accent. They had no training prior to that moment in those languages. God gave them that gift. And that's what God does for us. There are gifts that he gives us at the point of our salvation for the purpose of building up the body of Christ and fulfilling Christ's mission in the world. Now, for years, we'd offer a gifts test to help people discover their gifts. It's like 176 questions. And you'd go through and you'd take this test. And here's the pattern I'd see with this test. Time and time again, a person would take the test. And they'd come up with their answers. And you would find as you talked to them that what really happened, the way they answered the questions was not what their gift was, but what they wanted their gift to be. They'd answer according to their wish. I'd really love to be a leader, so they kind of find the leader questions and make sure they popped on those, make sure that those were higher. I don't think it was always a conscious thing. It was subconscious. This is, this is an area that they wanted to see good things happen. They thought that there was, that was their giftedness. We've taken a different approach on spiritual gifts. I think it is easier to discover your, your gift through your ministry than to discover your ministry through your gift. What are we saying? Get serving. Just get serving. And you know what happens? Sometimes you're serving, you go, this this ain't happening. This just is not working. And there are other times you start serving, you go, how did that happen? Very often your spiritual giftedness is going to be the area that other people are going to compliment you. You kind of go, I don't know, I just do it. It just happens. Because it's the Spirit that's doing it through you. So it's better to discover your gifts through your serve then through a test. Don't go on Facebook and find the latest spiritual gift test and answer all the questions. Just start serving. And what's going to happen is something's going to start to emerge. You're going to start to understand that area that the Spirit has given you a unique gifting. So we start with spiritual gifts. Next part of the intersection, now we're going to move on to the H, and that's for heart. Another word for heart would be passion. But if we used passion, it wouldn't just spell shape, right? It would be like a paper or something like that. We don't want that. We want shape. So anyway, here we are. We have heart. God places desires in you to motivate you to do what he wants you to do. God actually puts things inside of you that he says, this is what I want done. And he lights a fire within you. See, there's this myth that went on for many years in Christianity. I don't know if it's as popular today, but it certainly was years ago. The myth went something like this. If I'm really miserable, it must be what God wants me to do. It's almost like our serving was purgatory. You know, so we just, we have to pay our penance. It, the more miserable it is, the more hard it is, the, 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 just if I'm really frowning, this must be what God wants. Just the opposite. Ephesians 2.10, he made you to do certain things. You're a work of art. And he wants you to feel great passion about the thing that he has wired you to do. 
Psalm 37, 4 says that we're to delight ourselves in the Lord and He'll give us the desires of our heart. Some people look at that on a very surface level and they say, well, the verse basically says, if I desire God, I'll get everything I want. Want a house? Desire God. Want a new car? Desire God. No, very different. What this verse is saying is, when I desire, when I delight in God, He actually plants in me His desires. He gives me the desires He wants me to have. So the more I'm growing in my relationship with God, the more His desires are growing within me. Passion is a tricky thing. This heart thing is a tricky thing within the body of Christ because sometimes our passions collide. It's kind of funny. What will happen in your area of heart, there will be something you really care about. I mean, it's just, you think, this is the most important thing we do as a church. This is the most important thing we could ever do in the body of Christ. And someone also go, yeah, I guess. And you're like, what do you mean? How, what do you mean you guess? You're passionate about it. And you know what? The other person has an area that they're passionate about that's not the same as your passion. So you head on over to Acts chapter 15. And Paul and Barnabas have just been on a missionary trip. And Paul suggests, we should go back and visit those churches. We should go back and see how things are going. And Barnabas suggests, hey, why don't we take along John Mark? Let's let's take this fellow along with us. And Paul says, yeah, the last time he went on a trip with us, he bummed out. I'm not taking him again. And they actually get into a little bit of a conflict to the point that they go separate ways. They choose new partners and they go separate ways. This is a beautiful example of heart and passion in work. What we have is two men that care deeply about the cause of Christ. And for Paul, he said, I want to do this as efficiently as possible. We're going to reach as many people as possible. And here you have Barnabas. Barnabas's name literally means son of encouragement. Here's a guy who says, if in the process of reaching the world, we can salvage John Mark, it's worth it. And I want to do everything I can to build into this guy. And Paul's saying, we got a mission. We can't take all our time, you know, coddling him and bringing him along. Do you see how both of those passions, both are important? John Mark needed to be brought along. And the mission of encouraging the church needed to happen. And God planted different passions in each man in order to accomplish his work. Our passions, our heart will not all be the same. And that's a good thing. Because if we all just cared about the same thing, there would be a whole lot of things that wouldn't get done. So when you're sharing your passion with someone else and they kind of go, yeah, that's neat. Don't get upset. God has placed a passion in you and he intends to use you to fulfill that passion. And he's placed a passion in them to fulfill something else. When it comes to this whole issue of heart, there's a question that's really helpful, I think. What do you care about deeply? And you just don't get why other people don't care about it as much as you. There's some area that you care about deeply and you just kind of shake your head at other people and say, man, if they love Jesus more, they'd care about this too. You see, it's not about them loving Jesus more. You have a passion that God has placed in your heart and he's placed a different passion in them. So we try to figure out where has God placed a passion in us, a heart in us to do his ministry. S, spiritual gifts. H, heart. Let's move on to the A. The A is our abilities, the abilities that we've given. People tend to see their abilities as non-spiritual. There's something that you do, something you've been trained to do, and basically you use those abilities 
to get a check so you can eat and have a house and pay for utilities, right? You use your abilities. There's some, there's some training you receive, something you do naturally, and you do it well enough that you're like, wow, I could actually earn a living off this. What's amazing to me is a number of people, when it comes to their abilities, they say, well, that's something I do to make a living. That's not something that God could ever use. Just the opposite. God has placed abilities in you that he wants to use to build up the body of Christ and to fulfill his work in the world. Those abilities have been placed there by him for his use, not just so that we can eat and have a house. Exodus 35 gives this beautiful example. In fact, very often when, when, built, when um, abilities are mentioned, they're used in context of a building project. And so the building project in Exodus 35 is the building of the tabernacle. And in the building of the tabernacle, he mentions certain individuals. He says, there are, some, there are some craftsmen that have been given abilities. And I want them to use their abilities in order to, to build this place. I love the next verse. It says, all the women who were, who were skilled in sewing and spinning prepared blue, purple, and scarlet thread. But the, verse 26, and all the women who were willing to use their skills to spin the goat's hair into yarn. Here's a... I, a rare, rare gift. I guess not many people have that one anymore, but this is an ability that some people had. And then he goes on in the next part of the passage and he talks about two individuals who were not only, they had great ability in the crafts, but I love that a little bit further down, it mentions that they, they also had the ability in verse 34, they had the ability to teach their skills to others. Have you known people who have a great ability, but they have no idea how to convey it to someone else? God had given them the ability, not just to do the work, but to teach someone else to do the work as well. God has given you abilities that he wants to use for his kingdom purposes. Colossians 3.17 tells us, whatever you do, that's everything, right? Whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through, through Jesus. We're to use our abilities, all of our abilities, as a representative of Jesus. He's given us those abilities in order to accomplish his work in the world. Let's move on to the next part of our intersection, and it's the letter P. And honestly, it's my favorite. It's the word personality. And part of the reason I love the personality one, maybe more than any other one, when a person really understands this piece of themselves, a whole bunch of aha moments happen. A whole bunch of stuff that they finally go, now I get it. Now I get why I enjoy serving over here. And now I get why I've been so frustrated over here. Now I get why I feel like I fit over here. And now I get why I feel like a misfit over here. This personality thing answers so many questions. And it's knowable. And like I said, it just, it explains so many of the things that have had you scratching your head. Two questions that we didn't invent material we've used that I think really gets down to the core of this personality thing. The two questions are, how are you energized and how are you organized? So how are you energized? What charges your batteries? What, what, when you're done, you're on full. The battery is green. You're just like, man, I, I could go do that again and again and again. And, and what are the things that you do that, that when they're done... If you don't plug in, you'll be dead. It'll be over. So what, what charges your battery and what depletes your battery? And then how are you organized? 
Are you a person that's very systematic and structured? Or do you find yourself, let's say, in the, in the less structured category? You're more random. Doing the same thing over and over, you know, makes you just crazy. How are you energized and how are you organized? So, so look at this quadrant. Let's start with the energized thing first. On the energized side, there are one of two things that bring you great energy. Either doing tasks or being with people. Either doing tasks or being with people brings you a tremendous amount of energy. So, and you could even mix this up a little bit. You may be doing a task, but if you're doing it alone, you're just depleted. And what you're realizing is that you really find energy being around and being with other people. There are others of you task-oriented, and if other people are involved, that's where you start to drain a little bit. But if you're put in a room by yourself with a bunch of numbers to crunch, man, you, you walk out and you're like, I can do that again. I love this stuff. How are you energized? Now let's go to the other part of the question. How are you organized? Are you less structured or are you more structured? So here's the example that always seems to work on this one. Going on vacation. What does going on vacation look like for your family? What does going on vacation look like for you? Do you know the person who, when they go on vacation, you are handed a three to five page typed agenda that has every place you're going to go, every hotel, every event, timeline. It's all there. I mean, absolutely in great detail. And then there's the other person with vacation that says, you know, we haven't taken vacation in a while. We probably should. I could take off next week. We'll just get in the car. We'll head out. We'll stop when we feel like stopping. There are motel sexes everywhere. You know, we'll just kind of figure this thing out as we go. Gives you a pretty good idea. You, you may not be one of those extremes, but you have a tendency. You're, you're either the person that if the agenda is not followed, if the agenda falls off by 45 minutes, the vacation is ruined. Or you're the person that if you know where you're going, you say vacation destroyed. I want to be led by the Spirit. I want to just, I want to go. I want to see how this thing works out. These help so much to understand where you will work best in the body of Christ. Let me give you a couple of examples. So if you have people around the church that are working in the financial area, you know, a treasurer, someone that's doing the books for you, you look at these quadrants, you would hope that they were task-oriented. You would hope that they, they like numbers. You would hope that they, they like to do that. They like to stay on target with that. And not only that, you would hope that they're structured. The unstructured people, if they had this role, would wait until the letters show up in their red and they'd say, well, I guess now we better deal with this, right? We're finally at that point. The gas is going to be shut off. We, we better go ahead and do something about this. You want somebody who's in that task-structured area for that particular role. Now, I started thinking about coffee on Sunday morning. Where would you put the coffee person, the person who, who takes care of coffee on Sunday morning? Let's go ahead and put the coffee person on people because we want them to like people and be with people, right? And let's put them on less structured. How would that work out? Well, first of all, they'd show up when they feel like it because they're not very structured. So they'd show up, hey, it's about time to start. And when they show up, they'd find someone in the hallway who's having a problem, and they'd start to have a conversation with them, and they'd talk until right up to about 11 or 10.55. And they'd realize the coffee isn't made yet, and they'd come on out and they'd say, hey, guys, we're not doing any coffee today, but you know, I had to have this important conversation, and, and it all worked out well. We'll have coffee next week. The person we have doing coffee is task-structured. 
They're way up here. Does that mean she doesn't like people? She absolutely loves people. She loves people. But she's, she's motivated and energized by doing a task repeatedly. She shows up at the same time all the time. You could set a clock to the way she works. So you kind of look at this and you start to get an idea of where different ministries operate best and then why you're either humming in that ministry or you're just dreadfully frustrated in that ministry. So here's the thing on personalities. We all have these different personalities, right? And the thing that's funny about personalities is that for most of us, we wish we had a different one. For most of us, we wish we weren't who we are. So if you're on the less structured side, you find yourself saying, man, I wish I had a little bit more discipline. If you're, if you're on the task side, when we get to that Mary Martha passage in the Bible, you, you want to escape because you just feel guilty again for not wanting to sit at the feet of Jesus when a meal needs to be made and that frustration hits you. Here's the thing that's important to understand. God made you, you. And it's time you get okay with that. And the sooner you get okay with who God made you to be, the more comfortable you will be in your skin and the more you will feel the true fulfillment of Ephesians 2.10 in your life. So here's a little personality test. If you're an introvert, uh, we'll know. And if you're an extrovert, we'll know. Because we're going to do today's question. And the introverts inside are moaning. And the extroverts are saying, oh, good, I get to talk to people. This is fantastic. All right. So here's the way this works today. We're going to take the quadrant. Make sure that you're near someone. Nobody's alone on this. So if someone's alone, get close to them, get in with them. And I'd like you to just go ahead and fess up. Where do you fall as you see yourself right now? Uh, Put yourself in one of those four quadrants. If you're not sure and your spouse is here, they will let you know. All right, so timer begins. Go ahead and talk about it. All right, time's up. So again, part of the test. If you're task-oriented, you're glad the 45 seconds are over. If you're people-oriented, you're still talking or laughing. Let's move on to the next part of the intersection, and that's experiences. This area, I think, as I've had the chance to look at this throughout the years, experiences are where people really start to realize Ephesians 2.10 in action in their life. The Apostle Paul is writing about his experience in, in Philippi, talking about being in prison. He's talking to the Philippians, and here's what he says. Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. What's he talking about? He's talking about being in jail. He says, being in jail, being in prison, has actually served to, enhance the go- served to advance the gospel. 
We don't generally think of the bad things in our lives as things that God uses for great causes. And yet I would, I would challenge you that some of the worst things that happened in your lives are some of the greatest potential areas of ministry in your life. I promise you that. Romans eight twenty eight. we say we believe it. All things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. All the things that are happening in your life, good, bad, ugly, and different, all of them come together to be used for God's great purposes in each and every one of our lives. So as you're looking at your experiences, you may there are tons of experiences we've had as humans, right? But you may want to look at your spiritual experiences. What's your spiritual walk been like? When did you become a believer? What background did you come out of? What's it been like as you've grown as a believer? You'll find that there will be something about your walk. I became a believer as a seven-year-old and early on knew that there was some calling toward ministry in that. And it's interesting that for me, I have great passion for children's ministry. You know, that, that, that ties in with that experience. What have your serving experiences been, both in church and in the community? Which ones have gone very well and which ones have been a total bomb? What are your educational experiences? Not just formal schooling, but what's the training you've received along the way? Seminars you've taken, other things that have given you some unique abilities. But that last one, what are your painful experiences? A lot of people don't want to go there. They don't want to dig that one up again. But I promise you, your painful experiences are very often an area God wants you to use. God wants to use. He uses those in just an incredibly unique way because you are able to relate to other people in a way that someone had, that has not gone through that experience can. So I um, saw this quote this past week. I thought it was really helpful. What has wounded us most deeply is often what has made us who we are in terms of strength. Your deep wound that you keep trying to avoid, you keep trying to forget, is actually an area that God could use to build up other people and to fulfill his work in the world. All these come together. All these come together to form this intersection right here in the middle. This is your sweet spot. When you get all these things functioning together, you are living out Ephesians 2.10. You're finally totally getting it, and it's awesome. What does this whole thing, what is my fit, what does my shape say about my serve? Hopefully this will help you. When you understand your spiritual gift, your spiritual gift answers the what question. That is, what do I do when I serve? One spiritual gift is administration. I administer. Or teaching. I teach. Or mercy. I, I show other people compassion. What is the thing you do? That's what your spiritual gift answer. Hard answer is, where will I enjoy serving? Where, where am I just going to find myself saying, I was made for this? Abilities answer the one question. When should I just jump in and help? I, everything doesn't have to be something massive and profound. It may just need, something needs to be done and you know how to do it. And so you jump in at that point of emergency and help out with it. Personality answers the how question. How will I do ministry? Will I do it best as a task orientation, people orientation, structured, unstructured? How is it going to happen? And experiences answer the who question. Who will most benefit from my ministry? When I'm serving, who's the person that is really going to feel the greatest impact because I'm using the experiences God has given me in order to fulfill his mission in the world? So as we move, I promise you, there are going to be lots of opportunities to serve in our new place. One of the things we're going to be really committed to in these early days is just doing everything we can to show you the open doors so that you know the, the opportunities, the places you can serve. But truth be told, we don't do all of our serving in the church. 
There's lots and lots of great serving that can be done outside of the doors of the church. There are tons of needs in this world. And God wants to use you as his work of art to fulfill those needs in his world. I'd like to do a little survey, if you don't mind. I need you to take out your folder. And on the back side of your card, front side, just put your name. Back side, I need you to fill something out. And what we'd like is everyone to have one. So I know for some of you, only one person in the family picks up a bulletin. We've got some extras under the chairs along the end. And if you just pass those along so that everyone gets one. I'm just trying to get a little bit of an idea of where you are with this whole shape thing. So if you need one, put up a hand. John's got some to pass around. And there's some basic questions I want you to answer. The, the first, the left column has the shape words. Spiritual gifts, heart, ability, uh, personality, and experiences. And then a yes or a no. And, and here's the basic question. Do you know that thing about yourself or not? Do you know what your spiritual gifts are? Put a yes. Do you not know? Put a no. Do you know your abilities? Put a yes. Do you not? Put a no. You say, what if it's a maybe? I'm right, maybe. Okay, go nuts. I don't care. But, you know, give us an idea of where you stand on this. Do you understand the concept? And do you understand where you are in it or not? Then the next row is just really your experiences. My current serve is a great fit. Where I'm serving right now, I'm telling you what, my heart sings. I go, I am made for this. Or um, I serve, but it's not a great fit. You wake up, you know you got to go do it, and you're like, oh, brother. And, you know, if you're all brothering, check that one. Um, I have no idea where to serve. I, I wish I knew. I just don't know where. I don't know the handles. I don't, I don't know where to serve. Or I'm, I, I'm, I'm looking. I'm searching for a serve. And the final one is I need some coaching on this. I just, his sermon's been great, Dennis. Yeah, la, 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 lovely. But I, I need some help. I need some help to identify this. I need something more than a presentation to understand where my fit works best. So if you'd fill that out, then the people we ironically call servers are going to come in just a moment, and they're going to collect the offering. And when they do, I'd like you to put that card in the offering as it is passed. Thinking about this whole serving thing while you're finishing up filling out your card you know, a lot of times people look at a need in the world and they'll ask that generic question, what's the church going to do about this? We have kind of an institutional mentality toward problems, don't we? There's an institution that can fix it. What's the church going to do about this? If we really get this whole shape thing right, what we're going to find is that we're going to start asking, what are we going to do about this? Because we are the church. It's not, we don't leave it to a, a committee or a board that figures it out for us. We are the church. What are we going to do about this? And we're going to drill down even further. What am I going to do about this? What am I going to do about this need that I see? Because the truth is, God created me in this moment to fulfill some unique needs. And I want to get involved in that. So hopefully we, we, re, we experience a real shift when we understand our shape We know we were made to serve, to serve selflessly, and we're going to jump in and do that. Our servers are coming now to collect the offering, so place your card in there. While they do, I want to talk to you about some serves, Uh, some that have happened, some that you could jump in on, some that are real easy. You could do them right away. The first one involves next week, and it's actually a serve and some fun. So, Maybe you're one of the people that would be willing to stick around and, and do the teardown afterward. And if you are, uh, you're going to do a flag football game after church, after teardown, next Sunday over here in the soccer field. Okay? I don't, Brian, is it boys and girls or just boys? Who, 
it's gonna, whoever wants to play, well, you heard it. All right. So uh, it's funny because I, I was looking for flag football pictures and I came across these guys and I'm like, man, I wish these guys were on my team. I do not want to play against them. I looked for old guys playing flag football. I thought it would be us. First image was a cemetery. I didn't, I, I didn't put it up. I just, I don't know, in honor of the Bears season or something. I don't know. But anyway, yay. So another serve. Last night, last night, our, our, our high schoolers headed over to Feed My Starving People and did a serve, put together meal packs for kids that need to eat. And, and our junior hires are going to be doing that in February. And as Brian and I are talking about, like, we should do this as a church sometime. We just head over and fill these things and, and have some fun serving in that way. I love this picture, and it deserves, uh, we need a few explanations. Okay, here's the first explanation. Jessica does not have Ebola. Um, <laughs> Nate, my son, is not smoking. <clears throat> and Don is not a member of the uh, a zombie apocalypse. So uh, between the three, anyway. Here's another cool serve for you. It's on your folder. Again, not every serve has to take place in the church. Uh, the school district is looking for people who would be willing to spend some time once a week mentoring with an at-risk at kid. They're doing it during the lunch hour. So you meet with the, with the child during the lunch hour. If you want to learn more about it, there's a meeting on it this Thursday. And if you need more even before that meeting, talk to me and we'll, and we'll try to explain some of, the, some, of the, uh, some of the logistics of that. But what a great opportunity to be able to get involved in someone else's life and help them along. This one's even more informal. I don't have a picture for it. John Giesick is right now collecting coats for vets. So next Sunday, I thought it'd be really cool as, as we're walking in the door, you have coats to bring, just drop your coats in the hallway and let's fill the, let's fill the hallway with our coats and he can take his little Honda and drive them all away later in the day. But here's what I love. This wasn't, you know, this wasn't the church board initiated. We need a coat drive. This is someone who was burdened and said, I want to do this. And now he's getting involved in, in getting other people in on that thing that he's passionate about. This is a really uh, interesting serve. So we get over to the new place, and we got this great parking lot. And I know a lot of us, we don't even think about this. On a Sunday morning, you can serve someone by where you park. If you have great legs, they work, all right? And you don't mind a little bit of walk, why not park farthest away? So that the single mom bringing her kid can park up front. So that the older person doesn't have to walk as far. That would be me. You know, so you have... (laughs) Have these spots up front. Let's be the church that's known for nobody parks by the front door so that the people that do park by the front door are the people that actually need those slots. Now, we have these great four slots right over here. They're beautiful, and they've got a sign on them, and some of us are not allowed to park there. But some of us are allowed to park there because you've gone and gotten a permit in order to park in a handicapped spot. If you have that sticker, we want to encourage you to use that spot. Why? Because you will not take up four spots somewhere else. So this is actually a way you can serve someone else by going ahead and using that spot. For some of you, you've been holding out. You've been like, I'm eligible for that thing, but I am not going and getting one of those. For the sake of serving the other people at church, go get one. Go get one. I would hate Sunday after Sunday to see those slots empty. I'll be tempted to park there, and then I'll get a ticket. And you know what happens when I get tickets. We don't want that. So make sure that's a way, that's one way we can serve. We've talked about this way that we can serve, the moving day gift that we're doing. I mean, we're going to have this one time, this small window where people are going to come and check out what's going on. And we want to make sure that we're well-equipped for that day. So the moving day gift that we're collecting on, on the last day we're here is to go toward just 
furnishing our place well and making sure that we hit the ground running. That's a way that you can serve other people. And then comes all of Christmas Eve, our first Sunday, our first, our first service at the new place. We have landed on the times. I mean, my goodness, the surveys. It was nice. It all kind of clumped. A lot of people want it early because they're getting on to other things. So we're going with 4.30 and 6. But there are services you can do even that night. Got two services going. Maybe you'd serve in childcare in one of them. Maybe be involved in greeting at one of them. I know for a lot of us, we're going to want to get on and do our family thing. But what about serving someone else in that way? So all kinds of ways that we can jump in one time or on a stretch and get involved in serving. We'll talk a lot more about it because we really want to make sure that you're experiencing Ephesians 2.10 to its very best. All right, so we wait for this every week. Here it is. What I want you to do is take one of these and put it in the air. Nice and high. Don't worry, you didn't just become a Pentecostal or something. All right? Nice and high. There it is. Because that's all we have left here. Five of these. That is it. Now keep them up, because now you're going to stand up, and you're going to high-five someone else, and you're going to say goodbye. Go nuts. See you later. Galaxy spinning